you might have seen the movies because the relationship between Elvis and Priscilla Presley is one of the most fascinating celebrity stories of all time. But the films only tell so much. And the nitty gritty details, well, they're just next level. Welcome to Scandal from Shameless Podcast, the stories of the biggest celebrity controversies revisited. Hi. 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 <laughs> hi, hi, hi. We, a big one in front of us today. A huge one. We've got the three episodes on Elvis and Priscilla and people might be sitting here thinking, guys, I don't know if I'm interested in Elvis and Priscilla for three episodes. Yeah, like really? Are we really doing this? Yes, we are. Guys? We didn't intend for it to be three episodes and we got into this and I was fascinated. This has to be one of the most interesting celebrity scandal stories we have ever touched upon. Like the more I learned, the more I wanted to know. Completely. And we thought, you know what? Hopefully the listeners trust us here and say, I will come on the ride with you. And please do, because like we haven't done a decades old scandal in a while. Like we've done the likes of Marilyn Monroe, Natalie Wood, Fleetwood Mac. We haven't done something like this in a long time. And trust us, guys, it's worth it. There's just a lot to learn, I feel, about our current pop culture and celebrity landscape by looking back at Mm. decades old celebrity scandals. I mean, this story, as we know as well, has been revived quite a lot in recent years. In 2022, of course, we had the Elvis movie, which was produced by Baz Luhrmann, starring Austin Butler, who... Couldn't lose the accent. <laughs> Couldn't lose the accent. Had to hire a professional to try and train him out of it. He also didn't see his family and friends for three years. It was method acting. <laughs> method acting. Uh, fan fact, though. Harry Styles actually auditioned for that role. Missed out. Missed out. I don't think I would want to see Harry Styles try to be Elvis, so I'm kind of glad that happened. We also just had the release of Sofia Coppola's Priscilla, which was starring Kaylee Spaney and Jacob Elordi. That movie was based on Priscilla Presley's 1985 memoir, Elvis and Me. I actually saw that movie last night. So and? Good. Don't get me wrong. Good. Definitely glossed over some of the nitty gritty details. As we said at the top of this, it wasn't quite as spiky as what I think the actual facts or like the actual retellings from the time indicate. It's really interesting because we will be referencing throughout this scandal series, Elvis and Me, which is Priscilla's memoir, quite a lot. Mm. And she tells these stories in quite, I guess, nitty gritty detail, as Mm. you say. And yet you say when you watch the film... Now, some years later, a lot of that was watered down. Yeah, I'm really fascinated as to what has happened here because the memoir was written in 1985. The movie has come out in 2024. Priscilla was an executive producer on the movie. I imagine there would have had to be some kind of arrangement that she had to tick off the way things were shown to give over the rights to her memoir. She said, yes, but I want approval on how this stuff is shown. And I will say one thing I've realised researching Priscilla Presley with you and alongside our pop culture journalist Eilish is that her tone has certainly shifted over the years, right? Like the way she wrote things in her memoir all those decades ago compared to how she speaks about it now, things feel a little more fuzzy. Things feel a little bit more rose-coloured, I think, now than they did when she wrote the memoir. And I wonder if that's because so much trauma has happened in this family 
maybe it's too painful to relive the trauma that happened in this marriage. I don't know. I don't know if it's that deep or if it's just very human that yeah. the anger dissipates over time. Yes, yes. And you just think, I kind of want to protect the legacy of this family. Yeah. The Presley name is so iconic. Mm. She'd be conscious of, you know, she's getting older and the way she wants to tell the story has changed. And I want to respect that as well, but also respect the fact that as we said, we're going to be referencing her words quite a lot yeah. through this episode. On top of that book, we also read both Last Train to Memphis and Careless Love by Peter Gulranik, published both in 94 and 99. He seems to be like the most trusted authority on Elvis's life outside of the fam. Oh, he is like the bona fide Elvis expert. And then as always, we consulted the other major pieces of work on Elvis and Priscilla's life. There are documentaries, there are, you know, tabloid articles. Our pop culture journalist Eilish has been across all of that stuff too. But yes, we are referencing memoir, as in Elvis and me, and we are referencing those biographies, Last Train to Memphis and Careless Love, more than maybe any other scandal we've ever done. Shall we get into it? Please, this is a banger one, guys. We cannot wait to tell you this story. Let's rewind to 1945. All right, Zara. Priscilla Ann Wagner was born on May 24, 1945 in Brooklyn, New York. Her mother, Ann, gave birth to her when she was 19 years old. Yeah. Now, Priscilla's biological father, James Wagner, was a US Navy pilot. He actually died in a plane crash when he was just 24. And Priscilla was only six months old at the time when he died. So a couple of years later, in 1948, Priscilla's mum, Anne, married this guy, Paul Bolio, who was an American Air Force officer at the time. So little Priscilla was given the Bolio surname. And from then on, Paul was essentially her father to the point where Priscilla was raised actually thinking that Paul was her biological dad. She had no idea that James Wagner even existed. I didn't even touch on this in the movie, which is fascinating. I thought this was such an interesting thing to omit. Paul's career in the Air Force meant that the family had to move around a lot. Six different cities, in fact, by the time Priscilla was 11 years old. She described herself around this time as, and I quote, an insecure Air Force brat, unhappily accustomed to moving from base to base. She elaborated in her memoir, Elvis and Me, about who she was as an 11-year-old. She said, I was a shy, pretty little girl, fearful of not being accepted. I either kept to myself or waited for someone to befriend me. I found it especially difficult entering a new school in the middle of the year when cliques had already been established and newcomers were considered outsiders. Small and petite with long brown hair, blue eyes and an upturned nose, I was always stared at by the other students. At first, girls would see me as a rival, afraid I'd take their boyfriends away. I seemed to feel more comfortable with boys and they were usually friendlier. People always said I was the prettiest girl in school, but I never felt that way. Mm, Now, it was around this time in her life that Priscilla learned her dad wasn't her biological father at all. So she was actually rummaging through family keepsakes when her mum was out of the house when she happened upon this small wooden box. Of this, she wrote, inside was a carefully folded American flag, the kind I knew was given to servicemen's widows. Also inside the box was a picture of my mother with her 
arm around a strange man and sitting on her lap, an infant. On the back of the photo was inscribed, Mummy, Daddy, Priscilla. I had discovered a family secret. Mm, Priscilla called her mum to confront her and Anne dropped everything to come home and see her daughter. While Priscilla was cuddled in Anne's arms, her mother told her the story of Lieutenant James Wagner, who we told you earlier is Priscilla's biological father, who had been killed in a plane that was supposed to be returning him home. As odd as this story might seem, this does seem like a conversation, like the conversation Priscilla and Anne had when Anne got home and explained everything seemed to have been enough for Priscilla throughout her life. Like she answered all of Priscilla's questions. Her mum gave her a gold locket that James had originally given to her back when they were dating. Priscilla says she wore that gold locket for years. She felt like James was her guardian angel. She also accepted that her father was now Paul. It's interesting because I feel like for me, this would be something I struggle with for decades. And yet for Priscilla, everything was very quickly resolved. Yeah. I mean, big props, I think, to Anne then in that scenario for being able to quash the depth of worry or concern that Priscilla might have had. In 1959, when Priscilla was around 14, her father was transferred to move to West Germany, which meant the entire family had to pick up their lives and move again. Now, a school friend of Priscilla's pointed out that Elvis Presley was serving in the military in Germany too, not far from where Priscilla would be going with her family. In Elvis and Me, Priscilla wrote that she joked to her friend, I'm going over there to meet Elvis. She was joking, but that would end up being exactly what happened. Mm, Which makes now the perfect time to tell you about Elvis Presley and how massively famous he was in the year 1959. By the way, there's a lot of story to tell when it comes to the life of Elvis Presley. Yes. We don't have the time to do everything here. We're going to keep things short and sharp. In this series, we will tell you the stuff that we found the most fascinating. But of course, if you are super fascinated, go do external research too. (laughs) Well, we could just be here forever. Yeah, yeah. Now, to take it right back, Elvis was born in January 1935 to parents Vernon and Gladys. He grew up in Memphis, Tennessee. Just like Priscilla's upbringing, his was marked by tragedy. He was actually a twin in utero, but his twin brother Jesse was stillborn. According to the last train to Memphis, his parents believed that when Jesse died, and I quote, the one that lived got all the strength of both. After Elvis's arrival, his mother Gladys was also told she'd never be able to conceive again. Got a lot of pressure being the one that is meant to have all the strength for both. Now, the difficulties didn't stop there. In 1938, when Elvis was a toddler, his dad was actually found guilty of a petty crime. He altered and then cashed a $4 cheque, for which he was sentenced to three years in prison, which just seems pretty crazy. He served eight months before he was released, and during this time, Gladys actually lost the family home. She and Elvis would reportedly travel five hours each way most weekends to visit Vernon in prison. Vernon is quoted in The Last Train to Memphis, saying, Though we had friends and relatives, including my parents, the three of us formed our own private world. Mm, While Elvis was unable to read music and even failed music class in school, it became quite clear early on that he had a talent for singing and playing instruments. Right around the time that he graduated high school, he saved up enough money to record a demo at a local studio, which he later said was intended to be a present for his mother. 
At the studio, Elvis impressed a record label executive and that led to him joining a trio of musicians with whom he began to perform live. Yes, now it was during these performances that he first debuted his iconic rubber legs dancing (laughs) style, which had a huge impact on the women, the young women in the audience. (laughs) They were enraptured. Yes, they would scream and swoon and and generally make a bit of a scene. Now the trio he was performing with had a manager named Bob Neal, who was a local DJ and like music promoter. Bob introduced Elvis to someone who would become one of the most important people in his life, Colonel Tom Parker, a music promoter that Bob Neal really admired and someone that Bob felt Elvis could benefit from working with. Mm, We're going to take a quick look at Colonel Tom Parker now because he's a massively important figure in Elvis's life and he is a very colourful character in his own right. The reason we're taking you on this tangent is we feel you need this context for when Colonel Tom Parker pops up in the future. Like, he's going to be throughout this story, guys, and we want you to know a little bit about him. He was born in the Netherlands in 1909, although not many of his co-workers or friends knew that about him. In fact, the Colonel always claimed he had been born in West Virginia. At 20, he completely abandoned his life in Holland to start a new one in America. He left behind expensive clothing, ID, you name it. He essentially disappeared from Holland to pop up in the US. Yeah. Now, for this reason, he never actually had a US passport. And many Elvis fans have speculated that this is the reason Elvis Presley never toured overseas. Like if the colonel tried to apply for a US passport, he was probably going to get deported. Mm. Now, many fans have also wondered why the colonel left Holland in the first place, especially under such rushed circumstances. Now, in 1973, a Dutch journalist by the name of Dirk Verlenga received an anonymous tip from someone who believed the colonel was a lead suspect in a murder case, and that's why he fled in such a hurry. Yeah, the evidence surrounding this case is not super convincing. However, it is clear that the colonel did know the murder victim, a 23-year-old woman named Anna Vanden Enden. He also made his escape to the US on the very same day Anna was murdered. The murder scene was covered in white pepper, which was reportedly an effort to throw police dogs off the scent. Many people believe the colonel would have known this particular trick as he had spent several years training circus animals in the carnival. Yeah, and for what it's worth, the case still has not been solved to this day. Now, the colonel also spent some time working the carnival circuit in the US before he eventually moved into music promotion and found moderate success there. Little did he know, though, he was about to hit the big time with Elvis Presley. And so... Colonel Parker took over the management of Elvis Presley's career. Mm, Unfortunately for Elvis, he was very young and very naive when he signed his management contract with the Colonel and his parents didn't know the first thing about the music industry either. In 1955, he signed a binding contract with the Colonel, which named the Colonel Elvis's sole and exclusive advisor, personal representative and manager. So he signed over a heap of power to this man. Back then, a standard manager's commission was around 10 to 15%. The colonel's contract, though, started at 25% and then later skyrocketed to 50% in the year 1966. Yeah, there is no denying that the colonel took advantage of Elvis, but he also generated a lot of money and publicity for him over the years. And I think it's fair to say he's a very complicated character mm. in Elvis's life. Now, we will talk a lot about Colonel Tom Parker throughout this series because he might have been considered the most significant person in Elvis's life if it wasn't for 
one particular woman and mm. it's probably not the one you're thinking of. We're actually talking about his mother. Yeah, Elvis's mother. Here's a passage we found in the biography Last Train to Memphis, which is really interesting. Elvis grew up a loved and precious child. He was, everyone agreed, unusually close to his mother. Vernon, Elvis's dad, spoke of it after his son became famous, almost as if it were a source of wonder that anyone could be that close. A neighbour said she worshipped Elvis from the day he was born. Yeah, now as per Elvis and me, Elvis's mother Gladys was the love of his life. It was Elvis's habit to phone Gladys every day. Up until the time he began entertaining, he never spent a night away from home. Now, there have been quite a few sources over the years who have claimed that Elvis and Gladys shared a bed. And to be fair, this seemed to be often out of a necessity as the family didn't have a lot of money and that they would also speak in like baby talk to each other. Yeah. In general, Elvis used a lot of baby talk for everyone, for people and the things he loved throughout his life. Here's what Priscilla Presley once had to say about it. Feet was sooties, milk was butch, teeth, toofies, Love, yuv, little, yittle. In moments of intimacy, <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> in moments of intimacy, Elvis would switch to third person address. Him yuvs you and her yuvs him. <laughs> the the allure uh, of Elvis Presley has long yeah. evaded me. <laughs> Stuff like this just does not help. Him yuvs you. Him yuvs you and her yuvs you. I'm going to absolutely <laughs> take that on. I'll be saying it to you. Her <laughs> yuvs you. Now, before we tell you more about Gladys, we actually need to touch upon Elvis's unprecedented commercial success once he'd met Colonel Tom Parker and really kind of hit strides in his career. Mm. So Elvis Presley, the album, was the first rock and roll album to go to number one on the Billboard Top Pops charts in America. We now know this is the Hot 100 Billboard chart. It stayed at that number one spot for 10 full weeks. He was just 21 at the time and was largely responsible for taking rock and roll music to the American masses. I think maybe the more accurate way of saying that though is he brought music created by black people to middle-class white America for the first time and Elvis himself has acknowledged that. Yeah he was nothing like these audiences had ever seen before and as always it was young women who first really took to his quote-unquote new sound and Elvis's totally fresh look. By the time his debut album was out, he was a complete chart-topping sensation. He was driving young women absolutely wild, particularly a lot of tabloids at the time reported this panic around his provocative dance style. Yeah, the rubber legs. (laughs) (laughs) The rubber legs really got people going, but also in lots of different ways. Some women loved it, other people hated it. Now, that same year, Elvis turned 21, as I said, which meant he was actually eligible to be drafted into the American military. Now, although this was technically a period of peace, mandatory conscription still existed in the US for young men. Now, Elvis being drafted is actually a whole episode in and of itself. Of another podcast in another space. In another time. (laughs) I don't think we, yeah. But for now, what you need to know is beyond his young female fans, Elvis's public image wasn't great at this time. Mm. He was popular, of course, but older Americans or his fans' parents were not impressed with him and did fear that his edgy performances were corrupting a whole generation. <laughs> now, things got so serious that the media started running stories about how perverse his dancing was. Religious groups publicly condemned him. It was a total moral panic. There was also a lot of reporting around his dad spending time in prison and that kind of stuff, 
which made his manager, the colonel, very concerned. The colonel believed that Elvis joining the army would be good for his reputation, that he'd be seen to be doing his bit for the country just like any other guy and that it would, you know, help his career in the long run. So in March 1958, Elvis was drafted into the army. He was required to serve for two full years. Initially, he was sent to Texas and given special permission to bring his parents, Vernon and Gladys, along too. His grandmother also tagged along and his family lived off base in a private home. So, you know, he's doing the army thing. But he's doing it the superstar way. Yeah, he's got the entourage there. <laughs> now, speaking of Elvis's parents, as we told you earlier, Gladys Presley was without a doubt the most important person in Elvis's life. And in August 1958, she became extremely ill. According to Priscilla, her health had begun to deteriorate when Elvis was drafted and she started drinking quite heavily to cope. Priscilla actually reflected on the Presley's family's tendency to worry. She said, suffering and worry seem to be the very fabric of the Presley's lives. Elvis's enormous success and wealth notwithstanding, they were convinced that some misfortune was going to snatch it all away from them. Really fascinating quote. Elvis was granted emergency leave to be by his mother's hospital bed. And on August 14, 1958, Gladys died of heart failure due to hepatitis. The media were quite audacious back then, more audacious than they are now. Case in point, a journalist from the United Press International got a quote from Elvis literally at the hospital where his mother had just died. Elvis, according to this journalist, was sobbing and said, she was all we lived for. It broke my heart. She was always my best girl. Yeah, the Associated Press reported that Elvis was near hysteria at the funeral, which was attended by over 700 people, most of whom seemed to be trying to get a glimpse of Elvis Presley as he grieved. Mm. It was the following year that Elvis, the adored but also controversial 24-year-old A-list rock star, grieving the death of his mother, and Priscilla, a 14-year-old schoolgirl yet to start real life whatsoever, yet. We're going to tell you that story after the break. All right, Zara, we semi-lied. Before we tell you how Elvis and Priscilla met, it's probably worth telling you when they met. Priscilla was an Elvis fan, maybe not fanatical, but she certainly knew who he was and she liked what she heard. You could say the person who introduced Priscilla to Elvis was kind of her father, Paul. Paul had heard about Elvis Presley, you know, this young new rock and roll sensation who was driving teenage girls wild. And he figured that his then 11-year-old daughter Priscilla might be interested in Elvis's music. Yeah, so one evening, Paul actually brought Elvis's debut album home. And in a documentary titled Elvis by the Presleys, Paul recalled that time. People were saying, oh, this is the new singer and he's driving the kids crazy, you might say. So I figured I'm going to buy the album for my daughter. Years later, Priscilla reflected on this moment and wrote in an essay for People, One night, my father came home late for dinner and handed me a record album. I don't know what this Elvis guy is all about, he said, but he must be something special. I stood in line with half the armed forces to get this for you. Everybody wants it. Mm, so to be clear on the timeline, this all happened when they were still based in Texas. That's when Priscilla was introduced to Elvis Presley. And that's when she started listening to his music. While her father thought he was doing a nice thing for his daughter by getting her an Elvis record, Priscilla's mum didn't feel the same way. She very much sat in that camp of parents who thought Elvis was a bad influence. According to Priscilla, Anne once said this, 
Elvis is a bad influence for teenage girls. He arouses things in them that shouldn't <laughs> be aroused. If there's ever a mother's march against Elvis Presley, I'll be the first in line. Yeah. Now, in that essay for people that we referenced earlier, Priscilla went on. I put the record on the stereo and heard the rocking music of Blue Suede Shoes. The album was titled Elvis Presley. It was his first. Three years later and 5,500 miles away, I would meet him. <laughs> this brings us back to 1959, roughly a year after Gladys's death when Elvis and Priscilla met for the first time. Now, as we know, Elvis had been transferred from Texas to West Germany and as we know, Priscilla was there for her dad's work. The way they cross paths is weird. Yeah. Priscilla wasn't thrilled about moving to Germany, but she did spend a lot of her time at a place called the Eagles Club, which was like a dining hall and entertainment venue for families of the American Defence Force that was stationed there. One evening, Priscilla was with her little brother Don at Eagles Club when an American man in his 20s approached her. They engaged in small talk before he asked her, do you like Elvis Presley? giving like stranger danger. It's giving a lot of things that yeah. I don't like. No, it's weird. When she replied that of course she did, everybody did, the man claimed that he was good friends with Elvis and asked if she would like to join him and his wife for dinner at Elvis's house one evening. Now, Priscilla, who was literally 14 years old at this time, told the man that she'd actually have to ask her parents. Now, this man, whose name was Curry Grant, met Priscilla's parents and the trip to Elvis's house for dinner was arranged at 8pm. What was Curry Grant's intention here? The more I research about this and the more I saw this moment recreated in Priscilla the movie, the less I understand it. What purpose to bring this 14-year-old to Elvis's house? Was he just told to go around finding young women for Elvis? Yeah. Must be. Sorry. Yeah, no, I, I don't sorry. know what else it could be. How Priscilla remembers that day in her memoir is pretty fascinating. She wrote this. Eight o'clock finally arrived and so did Curry Grant and his attractive wife, Carol. Anxious, I hardly spoke to either of them during the 45-minute drive. I kept looking around for what I assumed would be Elvis's huge mansion. Instead, Curry pulled up to an ordinary-looking three-story house surrounded by a white picket fence. There was a sign on the gate in German which translated to autographs between 7 and 8 p.m. only. She went on. As Curry led me over to him, Elvis stood up and smiled. Well, he said, what do we have here? I didn't say anything. I couldn't. I just kept staring at him. Elvis Curry said, this is Priscilla, the girl I told you about. We shook hands and he said, hi, I'm Elvis Presley. But then there was a silence between us until Elvis asked me to sit down beside him and Curry drifted off. So Elvis said, do you go to school? After a short conversation, it became clear that Priscilla was extremely young. After learning that she was actually only in the ninth grade, Elvis apparently replied, ninth grade? Why, you're just a baby. Yeah, that didn't seem to deter him, though. And for Priscilla, Elvis was already a huge force in her life from the get-go. She wrote, The next day in school, I couldn't concentrate. My thoughts were entirely on Elvis. His charm was captivating. I told no one. Now, although Priscilla felt unsure about whether or not Elvis would want to see her again after their first meeting, Curry actually quickly got in touch with her parents to arrange another catch-up. In this second meeting, Elvis and Priscilla discussed his late mother, Gladys. As per Elvis and me, 
I sat next to him saying nothing, but was touched by his vulnerable boyish quality. He held me closely saying, I just wish mama could have been here to meet you. He sighed and a troubled look came over his face. She would have liked you as much as I do. Mm, Apparently Elvis also shared how upset he was about how quickly his father Vernon seemed to be moving on from the loss of his mother. Vernon had begun dating someone new once the family moved to Germany and Elvis was upset that his father was trying to replace his mother. Now remember, this is a conversation between a 24-year-old rock star and a 14-year-old schoolgirl. Although Elvis had assured Priscilla that he would treat her like a sister, which is repeated many times throughout Elvis and Me, the memoir, he kissed her for the first time that evening. Here's what Priscilla wrote of the moment. He kissed me goodbye, my first real kiss. I had never experienced such a mixture of affection and desire. Aware of my response and my youth, he broke away first, saying, we have plenty of time, little one. He kissed my forehead and sent me home. Following this second meeting, Priscilla met Elvis a couple more times until her parents stepped in. Her dad in particular wasn't impressed by Elvis's celebrity and wanted to know why he couldn't date someone his own age, which seems like... A fair question. Elvis tried to address these concerns in a visit to the family home. So he arrived at the house dressed in his military uniform, accompanied by his own dad, Vernon, as per Priscilla's account of this evening. Elvis was the perfect gentleman. My father was visibly impressed. Elvis always addressed him as Captain Bolio or Sir. This was characteristic of Elvis. Whatever a person's position in life, he was on his best behaviour and it was endearing. When asked directly by Paul just why Elvis was so interested in his 14-year-old daughter, Elvis apparently had this to say. Well, sir, I happen to be very fond of her. She's a lot more mature than her age and I enjoy her company. It hasn't been easy for me being away from home and all. It gets kind of lonely. I guess you might say I need someone to talk to. You don't have to worry about her, Captain. I'll take good care of her. By the way, at this point in the timeline, Elvis only had about five months left of his compulsory service in the army. As soon as it was over, he had planned to move back to America and resume his rock star career in both, you know, music and the movies. On the other hand, Priscilla had to abide by her father's plan to keep the family in Germany for another three years, seeing as she was, you know, 14 years old. Yeah. For the time being, however, the couple, and I put that in inverted commas, had Priscilla's parents' blessing. As long as Elvis picked Priscilla up and took her home himself, they were allowed to continue seeing each other. Now, as they continued to get to know each other, Priscilla soon realised that Elvis was kind of miserable. Not only was he missing his mother terribly, he was also concerned about what his career would look like after serving two years in the army. As per Elvis and me, when he'd entered the army, he'd been at the pinnacle of his fame. When Elvis had been drafted, there'd been talk of him possibly joining the special services where he could have sung and retained some rapport from the public. But Colonel Parker and his label were convinced that he should serve his country as a regular soldier, claiming that the public would respect Elvis as a man if he went back as Buck Private. Now Elvis was afraid he might have lost the support of his fans. Mm, and as Priscilla noted, it was a lot to expect an impressionable 14-year-old to understand, but I tried. According to Careless Love, Elvis was already completely infatuated with Priscilla by this point in the timeline. It read, everyone could see this was different right from the start. There was no question that he had fallen in love at first sight. Did you see the bone structure in her face? Elvis demanded of his friend as if somehow he had to explain it. It's like the woman I've been looking for all my life. It was though pretty odd Mm. by today's standards and 
probably probably back those then standards too. too. Yeah. yeah. A source is quoted in the Elvis biography saying he knew she was young and he was going to train her to be just the way he wanted her to be. Hmm. Even during these early days, Elvis was very stern and clear with Priscilla about what he wanted from a partner. Here's a quote. He wanted to mould me to his opinions and preferences. Despite his reputation for being a rebel, he held a traditional view of relationships. A woman had her place and it was the man who took the initiative. Yeah, Priscilla became increasingly distressed as Elvis's service drew to a close. She said, time had become my enemy. I had only a few months left to spend as much time with him as I could. Every minute I wasn't with him, I thought of him. My life was dominated by him and yet there were times where I would be disappointed by him. Mm, Elvis wouldn't always call when he told Priscilla he would and this would become more of a problem when he moved across the world back to the US. He was also often distracted. On top of his duties with the army, he practiced karate religiously and was constantly surrounded by an entourage of male friends. And that's something I think we need to make super clear, guys. When Priscilla is dating Elvis, when she's married to him, their whole relationship, it's very rarely just the two of them. It's Priscilla, Elvis, and like eight dudes. Yeah, that are constantly around. Constantly. He is a guy who constantly wants company from a bunch of people. As it turns out, his entourage were ever-present. As per Elvis and me, people were always dropping by, standing around the living room, talking and laughing until Elvis came down from his room. As soon as he appeared, the room would become silent until he revealed his mood. No one, including myself, dared joke around unless he laughed and then we all laughed. Oh gosh, what a dynamic to be a part of. Now, beyond their confronting age gap, the dynamic between Elvis and Priscilla seemed curious, to say the least. For instance, from everything we've read, Elvis was insistent on Priscilla remaining pure or a virgin. This was despite the fact, according to Careless Love, Elvis was sleeping with other women every night. Here's one passage from Careless Love that actually stood out to us about one of Elvis's other women, we guess commonly referred to as groupies. Mm. Elizabeth, who continued to sleep with him every night and was, of course, intensely jealous, knew immediately that this was something of a different order from all the other dalliances, from all the other girls who passed in and out of his life. She had thought for the longest time that he would never leave Anita, that they would probably get married someday. But with this quietly pretty, petite brunette, she sensed all certainty evaporating. I often wanted to ask Elvis if he had fallen in love with Priscilla, but I knew better than to ask that question. Yes. So, to be clear, that was speaking to Elizabeth, one of the women that Elvis was sleeping with regularly, and Elizabeth referenced a woman called Anita, another important woman in Elvis's life. She was actually Elvis's long-term girlfriend based back in the US. Yeah, not ex-girlfriend. Not ex-girlfriend, current girlfriend. girlfriend. Yeah, so when Elvis met Priscilla... He actually had a girlfriend, a girlfriend who he'd been with for years back in America. Plus the women he was sleeping with. And again, guys, according to what we've seen, he was sleeping with other women every night. Yes. So Elvis, curiously, had actually told Priscilla about Anita. And I think what's interesting here as well is... <laughs> Elvis's nickname for Anita was Little, and his nickname for Priscilla was Little One. I just, just, I would pick nicknames. If I was seeing two people at once, I'd pick wildly different oh nicknames. Oh my God. Just like, it's really, really baffling. You guys are probably wondering how this all worked. And to be clear, we don't really know. I don't know how he had the time, but we'll give you a little insight into their history. 
Elvis and Anita Wood met back in 1957 before he was drafted into the army. Anita was an entertainer and television personality and she was about 19 when they got together. When Elvis was in Germany, Anita would constantly write him love letters as any girlfriend would. She was completely unaware that Priscilla existed at this point. Yes, exactly right. Elvis was pretty hypocritical when it came to infidelity in relationships. For example, he would constantly restate the importance of being faithful to Priscilla, like always telling Priscilla Mm. she had to be faithful to him and yet he had a girlfriend back in America. He also had the audacity to complain to Priscilla that he (laughs) suspected Anita was being unfaithful (laughs) to him. Even in Germany, Priscilla wasn't convinced that Elvis was faithful to her. As per Elvis and me, despite his declarations of innocence, I was not reassured. He was the sexual idol of millions and could choose whomever he wanted whenever he wanted. I quickly learned for my own survival not to ask too many questions. Mm. As we know, Priscilla was struggling to juggle school and spending time with Elvis around this time, and this problem worsened the longer they knew each other. She wouldn't ever be able to see Elvis until after his work day was over. So she would typically get to his house around eight o'clock at night. She was barely sleeping and constantly distracted by thoughts of her much older boyfriend and her grades began to slip dramatically. Yeah, when Priscilla eventually shared how exhausted she was with him, he had what he saw as a solution to the problem. She wrote, he led me up to his room where he placed a handful of small white pills in the palm of my hand. I want you to take these. They will help you stay awake during the day. Just take one when you feel a little drowsy. No more than one, though, or you'll be doing headstands down the hallway. Priscilla went on. Elvis honestly thought he was doing me a favour by giving me the pills and I'm sure the thought never entered his mind that they could be harmful to him or me. What is this guy's problem? Um, Like, I've asked myself lots (laughs) as we've been prepping this. Like, what is it with this guy? It's just insane. By March 1960, the time had come for Elvis to return to America and leave the army for good. The night before he left, he told Priscilla that he loved her and that he'd never felt this way about another girl. However, Priscilla obviously had doubts and suspected that Elvis would see Anita as soon as he returned to America. Up until this point, Priscilla claims that Elvis had never tried to initiate sex with her. In fact, she claims that he constantly pulled back. She was trying to, you know, consummate their love, but he didn't want to. Yeah, here's what she had to say about their last evening together in Germany. For the last time, I begged him to consummate our love. It would have been so easy for him. I was young, vulnerable, desperately in love, and he could have taken complete advantage of me. But he quietly said, no, someday we will, Priscilla, but not now. You are just too young. What? <laughs> I don't even know what to make of it. It's interesting because the way Priscilla writes about this in her memoir is like, this is a really noble thing for Elvis to do. It's almost like a defence tactic, I think, to be like, anyone who wants to say he was creepy towards me, I need you to know this about him. It was so noble and honourable of him as an older man to not have sex with me then. I don't think it's some noble, honourable thing. I think Elvis was a guy who had very archaic notions. I mean, first of all, he shouldn't be sleeping with a 14-year-old. I want to make that really clear. I don't think his motivations were noble, though. His motivations were, if I sleep with her, she is dirtied and sullied as a woman and I will no longer find her a desirable prospect for me to marry. Yeah, I think that's probably a fair assumption to make. Now, 
The next day en route to the airport, Elvis had this to say to Priscilla. I know it's not going to be easy for you to go back to being a schoolgirl again after being with me, but you've got to. I don't want you to be sitting around moping after I leave, little one. I want you to promise me you'll stay the way you are, untouched as I left you. A.K.A. as a virgin. Yes. The moment the media learned of Priscilla is actually detailed in Careless Love. Now, Peter Gulronik wrote that Priscilla had been spotted saying goodbye to Elvis. Here's a passage from the book. The plane lifted off at 5.25pm and Life magazine got a shot of Priscilla waving goodbye. Girl he left behind was the caption and it was accompanied by another photograph of 16-year-old Priscilla in the backseat of the car that had taken them to Ray Barracks about to bestow a last kiss before they separated. Now, this is so interesting. Mm. In Careless Love, 16-year-old is put in inverted commas because, of course, Peter Gorelnik knows that she wasn't 16 when no, this happened. Was she was 14. And it's interesting. I'd love to know how this 16 figure made its way into the public consciousness. How did Life magazine get 16? I imagine someone in Elvis's team knew what would happen if it was revealed he was kissing a 14-year-old before he got on a plane. Yeah. And therefore, they bumped it up by two years. I don't know any other explanation that fits. I completely agree with you. Now, the thing is, Anita was actually waiting for Elvis back in the US and he did run straight to her as soon as he landed. Here's what Anita had to say in an interview decades later. I walked in the front door and he was just standing there. He said little, and I just ran over to him and we just embraced for a long time and I was so glad to see him. I guess he was glad to see me. We just embraced for a while, quite a while. Mm. Now, it was around this time that Anita learned of Priscilla's existence. She said this, I found one letter from Priscilla when I was in California and it was pressed in a book in the library outside of his bedroom. And in the letter, it said, please call my dad. I want to come over there. And if you call my dad, I know he will let me come. He will listen to you. I miss you. So when I came in, I said, what is this letter? Who is this? This Priscilla, who you said was just a child. He got so mad because I found the letter. He took me and shoved me up against the closet. He was so mad at me, just livid because I had found the letter. Yeah, so Priscilla and Anita were both in very awkward positions. It seemed that they both knew about each other through the letters that they'd been sending to Elvis. Now, Elvis had told Anita that Priscilla was no one to worry about ostensibly because she was just a child. According to Anita, here's what Elvis said after she found the first letter from Priscilla. Little, please don't tell anyone about this. This girl, she's just a child. She's just a 14-year-old child. It means absolutely nothing. She just wants to visit and it means nothing. If you told anybody, I'd get in a lot of trouble. She's so young. Mm. I mean, this is the thing earlier I said by today's standards, but also by those standards. Clearly, at this time, he knew the trouble he could get into if this was public. Yeah. Let's turn back to Priscilla for a second because she's still in Germany writing these letters to Elvis, begging him to call her dad, as we just said. She was completely devastated when Elvis left and the whole thing was made even worse by the fact that the press had cottoned on to her being Elvis's new girl. Journalists were apparently visiting her home, hounding her with questions about her age and the nature of her relationship with Elvis. These very same media outlets were also reporting that simultaneously, Elvis was now romantically linked with his new movie co-star, Nancy Sinatra. Yes, the daughter of Mm -hmm. Frank Sinatra. Yes. Elvis didn't call Priscilla for days and then weeks. She actually didn't hear from him until three weeks after he got back to the US when he called her one night at 3am. That's what you want from a man. (laughs) 
just it's just not what you want. Every every single hurdle in front of him, he just stumbles over. Yeah, like he's like, the worst boyfriend in the world. Red flags flapping in the wind. <laughs> now on this call, Elvis assured Priscilla that he wasn't seeing Nancy Sinatra. About Anita. <laughs> now, don't believe everything you hear, little girl. You'll find people trying to stir up trouble, just trying to make you upset. She's a friend, baby, just a friend. I'm appearing on her father's show and it was all set up for her to be here at my press conference when I return to the States. I miss you, baby. I think about you all the time. Mm. Priscilla says from this moment on, she wrote multiple letters to her boyfriend after that phone call, but he never wrote her back. As per Elvis and me. I was living in a state of suspended animation, waiting for Elvis's infrequent calls. He would phone out of the blue after three weeks or three months. He always did the most talking. Occasionally, he'd talk about Anita, saying their relationship wasn't what he had expected when he returned from the army. He was no longer sure he wanted to be with her. I didn't know where I stood. Time and distance had created doubts and questions. Imagine the confusion. I'm confused at the ripe old age of 29. Imagine the confusion if you're going through this as a 14-year-old. Yeah, this pattern lasted two years until 1962 when Priscilla was 16 years old and Elvis was 26. After months of radio silence, she suddenly received a call from Elvis asking her to come and visit him in L.A., Now, although Priscilla wasn't sure if her parents would let her go, they eventually did under the condition that she write to them every day, that she was constantly chaperoned and that Elvis would fly her in and out on a first class. (laughs) His parents. I know we haven't even gotten to that point. I was going to say that in episode two, but on the record, what is this parenting? Well, at least they're getting her a comfy seat. (laughs) (laughs) So at 16 years old, Priscilla went to Los Angeles on her own to visit Elvis Presley. My, my, my. We have so much more to tell you guys in episode two and three. They are available right now. If you become a Shane Moore subscriber on Spotify or an Apple Podcasts, you can get that stuff in your ears. Guys, Thank you for sticking around for episode one. Thank you to our pop culture journalist, Eilish, for the huge amount of work that this series has been. Yeah, mammoth amount of work. A big thank you as well to our producer, Annabelle Lee, for audio editing this one. We will be back in your ears on Thursday for another wrap in the week that was in pop culture. But as Mish said, if you want to listen to part two right now, go to Shane Moore. Yeah. Bye, Bye guys. Media. This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish Stylish, if you want to say it quickly, style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse, if you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. 
there is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.